Hey, lots of us knew that song, Tyrone. We listen to Christian radio, right? Yeah. Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. If you're a guest of ours, we are especially honored to have you with us today. I know a lot of you were here last night for the uh, India mission trip uh, dinner and for the talent show last night. It was so much fun. I was so uh, impressed and amazed at the eclectic talents of this family. Everything from a harp player to a juggler and everything in between. It was a lot of fun. Uh, thanks to everybody who made that happen. Heard about a preacher who was sitting in his office one Thursday afternoon and he got a call on the telephone from someone who identified himself as a representative of the Internal Revenue Service. And he asked the preacher, do you mind if I ask you some questions? And the preacher said, you can. He said, is this Grace Church? And the preacher said, it is. Are you the preacher? I am. Do you know a man by the name of Brian Johnson? I do. Is Brian Johnson a member of your church? He is. Did Brian Johnson make a contribution to your church in the amount of $75,000? There's a long pause and the preacher said, He will. You know, sometimes the things we say and the things we do don't quite line up, right? Sometimes the people, the, the things that we say about ourselves and, you know, what we really are like don't exactly line up. We're continuing this series of doing life together and we're talking about the fact that as Christians, really, whether we like it or not, we're in this thing together. You and I, all of us, we are in this thing together. And that's really an important thing to remember because a lot of people will disagree with that. A lot of people will tell you, Jesus, yes, the church, no. Or more people will tell you, Jesus, yes, the church, a little bit. You know, I signed up to do life with Jesus. I didn't sign up to do life with you or you or especially you. I just want to be left alone. Just leave me alone. Let me do my own thing. I'll go to heaven, you know, when I die. I'll, I'll come to church sometimes. I'll call you brother and sister. I'll learn the lingo. But I don't want to get wrapped up in anybody's life. And I certainly don't want anyone wrapped up in my life or my business. And yet when we start looking at all those one another passages in Scripture, we've got to ask ourselves a question. Is that even possible? Is it possible to say, I'm going to mind my own business and I'm just going to go to heaven? I don't want anything to do with you. Just let me do my thing. Just leave me alone. Because I think Jesus would argue that that's not possible. And I think the early church would argue, why would you want to live that way? Why would you want to forego the blessings and the encouragement and just all the, the things that we get from doing life together? Is it possible... Some of you are thinking, well, obviously it is possible to do your own thing and not do life together, because I'm doing it. But I'm telling you this morning, you're making a mistake. You're making a mistake if you aren't committed to living this life together in community. And we spend a little bit of time talking about the blessings that are found in doing life together. This morning, 
I want to spend some time talking about the opportunities and really the responsibilities that we have to each other as we think about uh, life lived together. Because there are some expectations. There are some expected results of living life in community. And I want to remind you of what those early Christians accomplished. You know, when you think about it, Jesus' public ministry only lasted three years. And those people that heard Jesus, those people who believed in Jesus, they took that message. And in a relatively short amount of time, historically speaking, they shared that message with the entire then-known world. Take a look at Acts chapter 17. Luke tells us this in verse 1 of Acts 17. Now Paul and Silas traveled through the towns of Amphibolus and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service and for three Sabbaths in a row he interpreted the Scriptures to the people. He was explaining and proving the prophecies about the suffering of the Messiah and His rising from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some who listened were persuaded and became converts, including a large number of godly Greek men and also many important women of the city. Paul goes to Thessalonica and he shares with those people the gospel. He shares the good news of a risen Jesus Christ. Verse 5, But the Jewish leaders were jealous, so they gathered some worthless fellows from the streets to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. Listen to what they tell the council about what's going on in their city. Paul and Silas have turned the rest of the world upside down. And now they're here disturbing our city, they shouted. The charge brought against Paul and Silas and those other Christians was they've turned the world upside down and now they're here. And by the way, the charge was accurate. There was, uh, there was some justification to that charge. Paul and Silas had indeed turned the world upside down along with those early believers. Changed the world. Which makes me kind of ask myself the question, what am I doing? What are we doing? Well, this morning I want to go back and I want to take a look at the speech that sort of kicked the whole thing off. A speech that everyone sort of rallied around. The beginning of the movement, if you will. Very early in Jesus' ministry. It's a speech that will be familiar to you. A large crowd gathers and Jesus takes the opportunity to kind of lay the groundwork for the kingdom that is coming. He begins laying the foundation of this new life and what it's going to look like. And this is the beginning of the message that's going to change the world, that's going to turn the world upside down. He's about to introduce the value system, the, the worldview, the expectation, the habits, the behaviors that this new group of community is going to exhibit. And he knew it was going to be an important message. You ready? Here's the revolutionary speech. Greatest sermon ever preached. It's in Matthew chapter 5. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, which is why we call it the Sermon on the Mount. He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Okay, here it comes. The revolutionary, world-changing, shut-down-the-Roman-Empire speech that Jesus is going to give. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, you need a great start to a great message. Blessed are the Blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay, um, wait, it gets better. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Really? That's your icebreaker? That's what you're starting with? But there's more. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the considerate. Blessed are the, the meek. For they will inherit the earth. Excuse me, wait, Jesus, can I interrupt you for just a minute? Blessed are the meek. Do you think meekness is really going to work here? Jesus, are you even from around here? Do you know what's going on? Do you even read the papers? Do you know how long we have been under Roman rule? Do you know where meekness gets people with Rome? Do you know what Rome does to the meek? The meek will inherit the earth. We can't even handle our own land. We can't even take control of our own people. Meekness is not going to get rid of the Romans. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They'll be filled. Filled with what? What does that even mean? Blessed are the merciful. Oh, that'll teach them. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Wait, excuse me, stop. Jesus, I don't want to keep interrupting. Blessed are the peacemakers? Do you really think we're going to be able to reclaim our land, reclaim our standing, reclaim our status by making peace? You think peacemaking is the answer here? You know what happens to peacemakers when they come up against Rome? They get swallowed up. They disappear. They become another of the uh, horde of taxpayers for Rome. Matthew, you writing this down because this is not making sense to me. There's more. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Wow, great. Where do I sign up for that movement? This sounds awesome, doesn't it? Jesus, are you sure this is the, 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 the introduction you want for this movement? I mean... We followed him up on this mountain for, for this. Maybe he'll do some miracles or something because this, this sermon's not getting it. Jesus, let me just review your comments, if I can. Let me make sure I've got this right so far. You're saying we are poor, sad, meek, righteous, merciful, pure, peaceful, persecuted, insulted people waiting for reward in heaven. Have I got that right? Is that what you're telling us? Is that how you're leading this thing off? You're telling us that we are poor, sad, meek, righteous, merciful, pure, peaceful, persecuted, insulted people waiting for reward in heaven. And you think this is going to catch on? You think people are going to buy into this message? 
You know, I say that obviously very tongue-in-cheek. I don't know what those people listening thought. But I do know what they did. A number of them believed Jesus' message. It happened. And in a few short years, that same strange message would turn the world upside down. And I do know that 2,000 years later, that same message is still changing the world. And Jesus goes on and He gives this crowd, uh, gives us two word pictures to help explain uh, what He's just told them. Two word pictures that I think speak directly to our opportunities and our responsibilities when we think about doing life together. And Jesus said, yeah, you're all those things. Uh, I meant what I said there. You're all those things, but don't get too hung up on that. Let me give you a couple examples of what you are that I think maybe you can wrap your mind around it. And his next statement is this. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Now that statement would have meant something to those people listening to Jesus. It means something to us, too, hearing it in, you know, in America in 2018. When we hear, you are the salt of the earth, if you're like me, you probably immediately go to flavor. When I think of salt, I think of flavor. That doesn't taste quite right. It needs a little bit more salt. It needs a little more flavor. We think flavor. Until you get to be about my age, then you think heart attack, right? <laughs> Too much salt. I can't have much salt. Those people hearing Jesus live and in person, their first thought wouldn't have gone to flavor. Their first thought would have gone to preservative. They knew salt as a preservative. Salt was a lot of things. does a lot of things. But to them, there was no refrigeration. There were no refrigerators or freezers. Salt was a preservative. They knew without salt, basically food would rot. Without salt, without a preservative, food would begin to spoil. Things would begin to decompose. Where there's no preservative, things would begin to smell. Jesus was saying to this audience, and He's saying to us today, I think, you are the preservative of the earth. If you don't preserve, the earth rots. If you don't preserve, culture stinks. If you don't preserve, things are going to get ugly. Things are going to be unpleasant. Now, I want you to try to think about the kind of world that Jesus is speaking into when He makes this statement. It's a world where might made right. Who was in charge? The Romans were in charge. Why was Rome in charge? Because they had the biggest army behind them. The ones who made the decisions, the ones who made the rules, that was all done because they were the most powerful people. Moral issues weren't really moral issues. And ethical issues weren't really ethical issues. The rules were made by the ones with the most power. So Jesus is speaking into a world where the poor were all but forgotten. Where women had no power, no standing, no status whatsoever. Children, even less. Mercy, compassion, kindness, generosity, those weren't seen as virtues. Those were seen as weaknesses. It was a world that is really hard for people like us to understand. Because we live in America in 2018. Now I know some of you have traveled around the world in places where probably some remnants of this kind of worldview still exist, and maybe you get it a little bit better than I do. 
But I think as a whole, we fail to appreciate as Americans that so much of what we assume is just common human decency isn't common. It's not natural. It was learned. I think we fail to appreciate just how much the Christian uh, worldview is embedded into our country. Now we say we're, you know, we're not a Christian country anymore. Mm, there's still an awful lot of the teachings of Christ embedded into us. Those fundamental principles that Jesus taught, they still exist. And we can't imagine a world where women are objectified. We can't imagine a world where women are seen as inferior to men or where children are just seen as possessions and, and nothing else. And yeah, I know historically we've struggled with some of these kind of issues, but still, intuitively, I think we've always understood it's not right. Something, something's off there. That's not how it's meant to be. I, I hope that our national consciousness is finally catching up with the teachings of Jesus. We believe children are precious. Why? Because there's other, there's other uh, societies that don't really put much uh, stock in the worth of children. We believe people who are generous with their time and their efforts, with their money, we think that's a good thing. We think that's a noble thing. Why? Because there's other cultures who certainly don't see it that way. Why do we hold up as heroes those men and women who run into burning buildings instead of run away from burning buildings? Why do we applaud mercy? It's not human nature. It's not exactly human decency. It doesn't come naturally. We have that worldview because we are convinced that there is one single God. And one day, every person on the face of the planet is going to stand before that one single God and we are all going to give an account of how we lived our lives. We believe that everyone on the face of the planet, red, yellow, black, white, we believe everyone really is precious in His sight. We believe everyone on the face of the planet, male, female, children, are loved by that one single God. We, we possess a worldview. We possess a belief that I think ultimately can be traced all the way back to a sermon that Jesus preached on the side of a mountain where he gets up and he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the preservative of the earth. You are what is going to keep this earth from rotting away. You are what is going to keep this culture from just decomposing. You know, we hear reports of human trafficking, sexual slavery, people selling children on the black market. And we wish we could put our head in the sand and pretend it doesn't really happen, but it does really happen. And we think, how can that, how can that be? How can a human being treat another human being that way? And the answer is really pretty simple. They don't have the same worldview as we have. And the reason they don't have the same worldview as we have is they haven't been taught the things that we've been taught. They don't see the world and they don't see people the way Jesus sees the world and the way Jesus sees people. Remember, we talked at length about Jesus saying, by this all men will know you're my disciple if you love one another. People are going to know that you belong to me by the way you love each other, by the way you treat each other, by the way you value each other. 
And again, those first century Christians, they heard that. They bought into it. They believed that. And they lived it. And then Jesus is going to give us a second word picture. You are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. And you might be thinking again, I don't want to be the light of the world. I don't want to be salt. I don't want to be light. I just want to do my thing. I just want to keep my head down, live my life, and go to heaven. But Jesus says, if you're a follower of mine, you're the salt of the earth, and you're the light of the world. Again, Jesus is using a word picture. This idea of a city that's built on a hill. A city that is placed in a specific position. A city that is uh, positioned on a hill so it can, can't be missed. And again, the people hearing this, they would have got it. Okay, makes sense. Absolutely. That's a good place to build a city where everyone can see it, where everyone knows where it is. We get it. And Jesus says, just like a city built on a hill can't be hidden, neither can you. Jesus says, you're like a strategically placed city. It's really what he's saying here. You are like a strategically placed city. And we say, no, 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 we're not. Not really. I got transferred here from Atlanta. You know, I'm just trying to figure out what school to send my kids to, and, you know, doctors and all, all those things. I'm just trying to kind of get some traction here. I'm not a strategically placed city. And Jesus would say, it might seem random to you, but if you're a follower of mine, right now you are a strategically placed city. No, no, I'm not a strategically placed city. I came here from school for school and that didn't work out and now I'm just kind of going from job to job trying to figure it out. I'm not a strategically placed city. If you're a follower of mine, you are a strategically placed city. It might not make sense to you, but you are where you are for a purpose. You are a strategically placed city. No, I'm really not. I was dating this girl and we broke up and now I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just here. No, you're not just here. You are a strategically placed city. You are where you are to be a light to the world. Then he goes on to say this. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. And of course, you know what Jesus' next statement is. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your church attendance. And know what a great guy you are. No, wait, that's not what he says next, actually. He says this. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I know there is a danger that this is such a well-known passage that you sort of check out, but i got to tell you, this is really powerful stuff. Jesus says, I want you to live your life in such a way that when people see you, they don't just say, wow, what a great guy. And they don't just say, wow, isn't she a sweet girl? I want you to live your life in such a way that when people see you, they see a life that is so extraordinary, that is so unusual, that is so unexpected, that they ask themselves the question, who lives that way, really? Who really lives that way? And they start to connect some dots. Jesus says, I want you to be a dot connector. 
I want you to live your life in such a way that when people see you and they see the things that you're doing and the way that you're doing it, that they've asked themselves, what's really going on here? Because something else is going on. Because nobody really lives their life that way. When you are a follower of Jesus, your light has got to be shining like a city positioned on a hill. And when it is, God is glorified. Hmm. I see what that person's doing. And somehow they get to God because they realize people don't do that on their own. Those early disciples, again, they got it. They took these words to Jesus to heart. And they begin living their lives differently and people began connecting the dots. And really in a matter of a few short years, the world was turned upside down. They changed the world. And it wasn't because of a military coup. And it wasn't because of political leverage. And it wasn't really because of great preaching or wonderful programs. You know, they changed the world by powerful living. They're making Jesus the Lord of their life and being very open and honest and upfront about that and pointing people to God. They took seriously the call to be salt and to be light. Why is this so important when we talk about doing life together? Here's why this is so important when we talk about doing life together, when we talk about community. It's because we all have a story. I have a story. You have a story. You don't know all of my story, and I don't know all of your story, but I do know this. Somebody was salt and light to you. Somebody came to you, or somebody was in your, uh, uh, in your uh, group of friends. Somebody was in your family. Somebody worked with you, and they were salt, and they were light. And they might tell you, I I had no idea I was being salt and light. I wasn't salt. I wasn't light. I was just living my life. I was just the guy working in the office next door. No, I just moved into their neighborhood. I'm just a soccer mom. And we sat together in the stands and watched our kids play soccer. I wasn't salt. I wasn't light. But you know that they were a strategically placed city. In fact, looking back, I hear this all the time. I'm sure you do too. People will tell me their story and they'll say, then... Then somebody showed up in my life. And maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a, uh, uh, you know, somebody they worked with. And we just started playing golf together. Or we just, you know, did some Mother's Day out. And they will tell you, that person was sent from God. I mean, God put that person in my life at just the right time. I was struggling. I was searching. I didn't know what I was searching for. And here's this guy. Or here's this girl. Or here's this kid I went to school with. And there was something different about him. Again, they probably didn't know that they were being salt or light. They were just living their lives. You think of people who have influenced your children. You think of people who have influenced your your marriage. And again, you would say, that was a God thing. Well, God put those people in my life at just the right time. Salt always preserves. And light always shows the way. Even when we don't see it working even when we don't realize it, even when we don't quite understand it. Salt is preserving. Light is illuminating. 
You are called to be the salt of your neighborhood. We are called to be the, the light of our workplace. Someone's watching you. Maybe you know it, maybe you don't. But someone's watching your life. And they're thinking to themselves, there's this kid at school. Or there's this guy at the office. Or there's this lady I work with. And I've watched her. And I've seen how they treat people. And I've heard what they've said. And I've listened to the way they said it. And it's really, it's really attractive. And it's really impressive. Listen, we interact with people all the time. This week, you're going to interact with a lot of people. And whether you realize it or not, I, I can promise you, you're going to interact with someone this week who's hurting and who's struggling and who's really wrestling with something going on in their lives. You're going to interact with somebody who's searching for something. And they probably don't even know what they're searching for. You're going to have a conversation or you're going to have some, some interaction with someone who is longing for something and they won't even be able to verbalize what it is they're longing for. But what they're really longing for is what you have. Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. He wants you to be salt in your school. He wants you to be light in your neighborhood, in your workplace, wherever we are. And Jesus has promised, and history bears this out, when Christians do that, when we become salt and we become light, God can use us to change the world. He can still turn the world upside down using people just like us. So my challenge this morning is as we begin a brand new week, let's be really open to ways that we can be salt. That we can make our neighborhood, our school, our workplace a little bit of a better place by the lives we live. And that we can be light. You are strategically placed right here right now. Monday morning, wherever you are, God has put you in that place to be a light to somebody. Because somebody's looking. Listen, as a church family, if there's something going on in your life that we can help you with, maybe there's some struggles that you're going through, maybe there's some things that God has really blessed you with that you want to share with us. Uh, we'd love to, to know about that and to help you, pray with you if we could. There's going to be some people here at the front of the auditorium, and we invite you to meet us there. Let's stand and sing.